Well, thank you for coming to our special event um, with Joan Tosin called Calendars and Time in the Eyes of Science and History. Um, before we uh, start our event, I'd like to say a few words about parking. I say this all the time. But um, we have free parking in the, um, for the bookstore, in the lot in front of the bookstore, in the lot behind Rasmussen Hall, and the lot next to the Wells Fargo Sports Center, so you do not have to pay for parking for bookstore events. If you get a ticket by mistake, just get a hold of me. I'm Rachel at the bookstore, and I will take care of it immediately. So thank you. Um, we have some refreshments at the table. Please take whatever you like. This event is being recorded and will be on iTunes in the UAA Campus Bookstore collection. And um, you can find it um, by searching um, UAA Campus Bookstore in the iTunes store or Joan Tosin. You'll be able to find it that way also. So um, our event, um, our guest speaker is Joan Tosin. Um, Joan received a BA Public Communications with a minor in Geology at UAA and has done graduate work in Environmental Northern Studies at UAF. Her business ventures include owning a map store, working in the travel industry in education, and as a tutor with therapeutic essential oils. Joan's foundation in scientific inquiry enables her to explore biblical research in methodical and logical ways. At this event on the summer solstice, she will explain different meanings of time, astrology, astronomy, and calendars. So um, we'll have time for a, a Q&A discussion after the presentation. And uh, thank you again for coming. Thank you very much. And thank you for such a timely topic. <laughs> um, we're a small group, but I hope you noticed that Rachel organized the chairs in an orbital pattern as the planets go. We'll be touching on that in a minute. Um, and I just want to share with you, since we're starting off on such a day, a timely day, this is a full moon in the summer solstice, depending on what part of the planet you're on. I want to share with you a couple of items that are historically significant in time on this day in history. In 1782, the United States Congress adopted the Great Seal of the United States on June 20th, today. In 1941, Ford signed the first contract with, auto, with the Auto Workers Union on this day, June 20th. In 1863, the West, West Virginia entered the, with the Union in the Civil War. 1863, again on this day, the United States, I'm sorry, 1963, 100 years later, interestingly, another war, a Cold War, but the United States and the Soviet Union established a hotline for emergency to try to prevent, in case of nuclear threat, um, to prevent communication glitches, which often happen. In 1947, um, Bugs B. Siegel, um, the organized crime leader, was killed. And Jaws <laughs> did its first debut <laughs> on June 20th. Um, there's a lot of other things that have taken place. Um, and each of us has a concept of time that can vary depending on experiences and research and 
historical perspective. Um, so you're each going to have an opportunity to share your perspective of time at the end. So keep that in mind. Um, we're going to talk about um, time and space from the Big Bang to uh, some of the principles of astronomy and earth science that consist and make our time. Um, earth time and planetary times, how they differ, how a day on Earth is different than a day on Pluto. Uh, historical calendars of time, how cultures are united and divided by calendars and time. Indigenous concepts of time by the seasons, biblical and ancient manuscripts on time. Um, international uh, calendar that's proposed uh, and then some references in a uh, quick take on time on June 20th, what's happening today. Time travel in, in, in the orbital cycle of talking circles and round table, we'll have some discussion. Um, I think I see a few people here that probably remember the song, Turn, Turn, Turn. <laughs> there is, a, there is for, to everything there is a season. It still holds the number one place for um, old lyrics because it was written by King Solomon. It comes out of the book of Ecclesiastes. But um, Peter Seeger uh, wrote, the, wrote the song in, in the late 1950s and then it became a popular music uh, in the, by, sung by the Limelighters in, in 1962. Um, so it's very timely for there is a time for every season under the sun, and there is nothing new under the sun. It rotates and revolves and comes back around. Einstein said, Einstein, by the way, was a, a violinist, as you probably know, as well as a scientist. And he said if he weren't a scientist, he'd probably be a musician. Um, Kepler's mother, another scientist, astronomer, um, his mother was a musician. And music and mathematics and science were very integrated over the centuries. Um, music used to be in the mathematics department, and, uh, and very appropriately so, because you divide time and put it to tone and, and frequency and, and the sound waves, and it's it, very fitting. We don't divide it that way now, it's a different department, but um, so the, the sound and sound waves um, have a lot to do with time. Einstein's theory of relativity has some interesting side comments. Um, at one time, he thought that the universe was eternal. It was a popular belief at the time, and he wanted to hold on to it. One of his students pointed out that his calculations were in error, and when he corrected them, it showed that the universe had a beginning of time. And so he adjusted his relativity of time and space, and more recently we have the theory of the Big Bang, which is an interesting concept of a beginning of time, when things started um, from, and, and, and science and, and um, Faith don't always have divergent paths. If you look at it closely, there's a lot of things with common denominators there. 
um, the Hadron Collider in Switzerland, in CERN, Switzerland, um, is trying to recreate the Big Bang. There are those who are concerned that if we do in a significant way that we could blow everything to smithereens. There are others who say, nah, we won't do that. Um, but the particle before the Big Bang is called Higgs particle, or the God particle. Um, it is the beginning. In, in Hebrew, it's interesting that the smallest letter of the alphabet is the Yod, the Yod of God. And it expands out to the greatest expansion of time and space. And it, all the other letters in the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet, or Aleph Tav, are different forms of the Yod, with extensions and forms added to them. Um, a mathematician in this modern time uh, has done some calculations and some, some analysis with his engineering mathematical mind, and uh, he's put together some dances with the Hebrew letters and and mathematic algorithms, and um, it's an interesting um, piece that he's done. Um, but the Big Bang goes back to the way they calculate the time in the universe, 14 plus some billion years for the universe and 4.4 billion years for the Earth. And they measure the waves or particles of microwaves in the universe and calculate the half-lives and come to the conclusion of how they do that. However, however, there are some things that they have determined that affects the accuracy of measuring that. And an explosion, a nuclear explosion, in closer terms to our understanding, or fission, fusion of, uh, of, of the um, stars out in the galaxy, in our own galaxy, can affect the half-lives of the way we count and calculate time. So there's some, there are some um, possible variables that could change our count um, when we learn more. Quantum physics is a new area that looks at time and space in a different way. Um, we not only have, have, have some of you heard of Mishu Kaku? <laughs> and listen to him, he's really awesome. He's so good on science and math and, and makes it really understandable. Um, he, he's, uh, he talks about multiverses and, and different dimensions of time related to the Higgs particle. Um, I asked one time, how many dimensions do we know about in Higgs particle? And, and the answer from one of the scientists who was discussing it was, um, well, there's at least 11 dimensions that they're aware of. Um, plasma, wormholes, dark energy, warp, time warps, vortexes, all have to do with um, quantum physics and calculation of time in modern times. Um, goes back, it's interesting, uh, the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, had their concepts and, 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 and their um, ideas of uh, ether kind of correlated to some of these things. There's nothing new under the sun. Some of these things orbit around and recycle in time. But I want to 
give you an example, since we've got the chairs lined up in a planetary orbit fashion of sorts. Um, I want to give you an example of how time varies on Earth compared to other planets in the solar system. Um, I frequently get into discussions with friends on Genesis 1, and some people, uh, creationists, intelligent design, evolutionists, all have different ideas on time. And a day in Hebrew or Greek, English, a day can be counted as an eon of time, it can be counted as 24 hours of time, it can be counted as an age of time, it can be counted as many different concepts of time, a day, a day in a geological time frame is like the Cambrian period. The, in, in, a, in a figurative sense, and then there's literal senses. On Earth, we have what we consider a 24-hour day, even though that is not perfectly accurate. We have 23 hours plus um, 20 minutes and seconds that um, calculate out and um, are not exactly 24 hours. But on considering the 24-hour day, which we count on Earth, I've made a chart that shows you the equivalent time on the different planets for rotation. Sidereal rotation is the rotation, um, there's sidereal and synodic rotation. With, with planets, the sidereal rotation is aligned with the sun. Um, we'll get to that in more detail in a little bit. But um, So Mercury, one day on Earth equals about 58.6 days on Mercury. One day on Earth is about 243 days on Venus. So is this by rotation? What's the yes, it's, um, and we'll get to this in a little bit more in detail a little bit later. The scientists over the years have, first they thought we were eccentric, that everything revolved around us. Then it came to be recognized that we went in circles around the sun and then it came to be recognized that those circles were not perfectly round, they were elliptical. And, and so even time on Earth, even a day in our elliptical orbit can vary a little bit. Um, Mars, a day, one day on Earth is about 1.03 days on Mars. A day on Earth is about 0.41 days, that's less than a half a day on, on uh, Jupiter. One day on Earth is equivalent to about, again, less than a half a day on Saturn. And on Uranus, you've got 0.72. That's less than one day. That's less than Earth time. Uh, on Neptune, the days are like 0.67. On Pluto, their days are equivalent to about 6.39 days on the Earth. The solar orbit, or the year, that it takes to go around the sun, on Earth, our days are actually not 365, but about 365 days and a quarter. And this is going to play into calendar um, variables later on. Um, but the solar orbit, on Earth is 
approximately for the solar orbit as compared to sidereal or synodic, and we'll go into that in more detail later. Um, this, this side, the um, solar orbit for Earth, 365.26 days as compared to 224.7 days, days on Venus, 87.97 days on Mercury. Then you go out beyond the Earth, and this is really interesting because we switch from days to years. And this is not a typo. This is not an error. This is how the planets line up in their orbit, in their tilt, and how it compares to Earth time. Uh, one year on Earth is equivalent to about 1.88, or just under two years, on Mars. Um, on Jupiter, one year on Earth is equivalent to about 29.46 years, 30, almost 30 years. On um, Saturn, uh, that's on Saturn, on Uranus, 84 years for one Earth year. On Neptune, about 164, almost 165 years for one Earth year. And way out on planetoid Pluto, it's about 248 and a half years for each Earth year. That's right. It's way out there. It has a longer trip, much longer voyage than we do to go around the sun. Um, the tilt also has an effect on how the planet behaves. The tilt of the Earth is 23.4 degrees, and that affects our seasons as we go around. I'll have some other charts here to explain that in more detail. Um, the tilt on Mercury is barely, barely noticeable. It's 0 0.034 degrees. On Venus, the tilt is a max, is, is a 177.36. That's a huge tilt. That is a huge tilt. 180 degrees is, you know, like that. So they're almost on their side. Um, <clears throat> on Mars, the tilt is 25.29. It's pretty close to the Earth. Mars is really close to the Earth in some of its uh, uh, astronomical calculations. Um, Jupiter, the tilt is 3.13, very, very small. On Saturn, the tilt is 26.73. Have any of you looked through at the planets through um, telescopes and seen, seen how the Saturn looks with its rings around it and how the tilt is? At, out at Eagle River Nature Center during the winter time, they have on, I think it's the first and third Fridays of the month, they have a, uh, someone talking about what's the latest thing that, that has been discovered with NASA. And they show some of the stars and galaxies. And, and if it's a clear night, um, astronomers will bring their telescopes and set it up in the parking lot and share it with whoever is there. It's really awesome. A few years ago, Saturn was at its closest point to Earth in many, 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 in a long time. And it was awesome how you could see the rings of Saturn and, and the tilt of the planet. It's really amazing. The tilt of Neptune is 28.32, and the tilt of Pluto, 122.53. So you can see um, Pluto and Venus are tilted significantly almost halfway on their side. So that affects a lot of things 
in their behavior. Um, the, we have days and nights, and we're going to get into that a little bit later too, but the days and nights on Venus for a sunrise are equivalent to our months of seasons. And at the pole, because of their, their uh, minimal tilt, the pole has a continual twilight. When we tilt, you know, our pole goes from 24 hours of daylight to zero, <laughs> depending on which, if it's winter solstice, or I'm sorry, winter, uh, yeah, if it's winter solstice or summer. Um, but on Venus, because they barely even have a tilt, they have continual twilight at their poles. Time differences um, not only are significant in time for the planets of the solar system, but as the Earth rotates around, we have differences of time. If you're traveling from Anchorage to, to uh, New Zealand, you go over the international timeline, you miss a day, come back and gain it. Um, so we can lose or gain time when we travel. We can travel through time. <laughs> um, Earth Day, as I was saying before, is not exactly 24 hours. It's precise. It's more like 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 4.1 seconds. However, there's variables to that, too, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So there are variables and times in both the planetary locations and Earth locations. Astronomically on the Earth, coming in closer to our home planet, um, there's a difference of time with the solar days and years. The solar years are different than the lunar years. Um, the synodic month for a month is lunar, of course. That's how we measure the months, is by the moon in, in astronomical time. And we'll get to more calendar comments on that in a little bit. But in astronomical time, a synodic month is, is a point of time between two new moons aligned with our sun star. Okay? A sidereal month is a point in time between new moons aligned with a specific star, like Polaris or a star, whichever star you choose, as long as you're consistent with it, then the way we line up is um, the way the, the moon lines up with that is makes a difference in calculation of the month. So a synodic month lining up with our sun star is it varies between depending on the path of our orbit because again it's not perfectly it's elliptical it's not perfectly a circle. the, the lunar synodic month is 29.26 to 29.8 or an average of 29 and a half days. A sidereal month is 27.32 days. That's when you line up with the star instead of the sun with to back to the new moon position. Um, and a synodic year, a lunar year, is 354 days. That's different than a solar year. Um, that's 11 and, a half, 11 and a quarter days short of the solar year. And you're going to see in a little bit how that affects calendars, and it does it in a significant way. Um, there is an 18.6 year cycle with the moon 
because of the orbit when it comes back to the same position? 18.6 years. It's rounded up in calculations to 19 years, but that has some variables that throw time off too. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of moving parts in, in, in time. Um, solar days and years on the Earth, a solar day varies with each month, depending on where we are in our orbit, because we're on an elliptical orbit, so we can vary as much as plus or minus 30 seconds. <laughs> but over time, that can, that can add up. <clears throat> a sidereal day, which um, aligns, for instance, the vernal equinox like today, aligned with Polaris, star up in the sky for celestial navigation of time and space, um, is 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 4 seconds. A solar year is 365 and a quarter days, not exactly 365 days, even though our, our civil calendars count 365 days for the Roman calendar that we use now. Um, <clears throat> that equals about 12.4 lunar months. So lots of moving parts that are not equal, and there's lots of variables. It becomes the dance of the planets, and the moon, and the earth, and the sun. A sidereal year, as compared to a solar year, when you align it with, the, for instance, Polaris star, is 364 days. That's different. Okay, are we ready? <laughs> okay, in the book of Job, it says, do you know the ordinances of heaven? We have ordinances of the municipality. We have ordinances of the United States. But it says, do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you put into effect their plan on earth? This is amazing how it ties into astronomy and earth science. Um, in, in Genesis 1, on the fourth day, he said, and then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them mark off the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights shine down on the earth to govern the day and the night and separate the light from the darkness. In one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, have any of you checked into the Dead Sea Scrolls at all? Pretty amazing, pretty amazing. Old manuscripts. Um, in one of the Dead Sea Scrolls called Book of Jubilee, which was thrown out of the canon in... Um, at the Council of Nicaea in 325. Um, it, was, it, was, it, it was in the Dead Sea Scrolls because it was a valued reference publication, as we would call it, a manuscript back then, a scroll, um, because it has a lot of valuable information in it. There are different versions that are printed, and so it can be confusing, and, and the, the terminology, the jargon that's used is not what we're used to today. Like today, we have science jargon, we have engineering jargon, we have um, political jargon. There's all kinds of jargon. And, and if you're not into that field, it can be confusing or, or difficult to understand. Um, but there is something that's in the Book of Jubilee, which was one of the Dead Sea Scrolls they discovered. It says, And command the children of Israel that they observe the years according to this reckoning, 364 days, and they will constitute a complete year. So that means that's referring to the sidereal year. And it was, this was written a long, long time ago. Many, many centuries, millennia BC, originally. 
lost in time, calendars and cultural context. Um, the pyramids align with three stars at a certain time. The planetary alignment um, of the Giza pyramids uh, happens once in about every 3,000 or 2,737 years. Um, and this alignment is with a particular constellation that um, tells time. The Stonehenge and Woodhenge are, there's actually a Woodhenge close by to Stonehenge in England, and there's a Woodhenge, Cahokia Woodhenge in Illinois. Have any of you seen the Cahokia Woodhenge? It's really interesting. They're still discovering more about it. It was a center of civilization for the indigenous people of America a thousand years before the whites came here. And it was a calendar of time. They still have, you know, the wood, um, you can go see it there. Really fascinating. Um, and there's other wood henges and stone henges around the planet too that are aligned for time in the solstice. There's probably a, a huge gathering of people today for the summer solstice over at Stonehenge right now, um, looking at the alignments with the sun and the moon, because we do have the moon, and, and as we just said, the moon and the sun are not on the same timetable, so it's very unusual that we have both a full moon and the summer solstice today. It's an interesting combination. Um, but the, the pyramids, um, observatory of calendar time, they line up with the star Sirius, they heralded the floods of the Nile, which was an agricultural calendar, and times when it was more of an agricultural cultures on the earth, um, the seasons were, were um, aligned to planting and harvest, and um, not as um, calculated as we have today. They were more the natural ebb and flow, like the indigenous seasons of, of the native people are more in tune with the ebb and flow of, of the cycles of nature. Um, there's some speculation that the 12 stones that were set up by the 12 tribes when they crossed the Jordan were actually a time calendar. I don't know, but there's some speculation on that. Um, <clears throat> Gezer calendar was discovered. It's a, he a piece of Hebrew limestone with inscription on it. And in it, it was just, um, it goes back to 925 B.C. That's uh, shortly after the reign of King David and Solomon. Um, and they were globally known. Um, these were interesting timepieces. There's the, the, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this right, the Cacho, Caco, Chaco Canyon in New Mexico has some interesting alignments for calendars. In China, the astronomical clock dates from first uh, millennium. Uh, the geochron clock. And have any of you heard of the Antikythler mechanism? It was discovered about 100 years ago. Let me see if we have, yeah. The Antikythler mechanism was discovered when some sponge divers were blown off course in the Mediterranean and the storm blew them to an area where they went diving, and they discovered um, a mechanism on a shipwreck 
close to Greece. And they pulled it up and they couldn't figure out what, what is it. it was all rusted over. And when they finally cleaned it up and analyzed it more carefully over the decades, they've discovered it's one of the most amazing pieces for astronomical time that's been discovered. Um, it goes back to 200 BC, but this particular one does, but they suspect that it goes back even much farther than that. But it shows that we are not always as smart as we think we are, and some of these things have been discovered before. And, and it, um, Nova did a special on it. If you want to check it out, I'd highly recommend it. It's uh, called the, the First Ancient Computer. Has, um, I think it's like 30 mechanism, 30 moving parts in it, and and it is accurate in how it reflects the orbits of the planets and the orbit of the moon, and even allows for some of the variations in the orbits. It's just incredibly amazing piece. And Kithilda Clock and Nova PBS put it out on a special. Uh, and there's been more research than they put since they put that special out, but it's really fascinating. Um, <clears throat> some of the scientists in the family tree of astronomy um, go back a long ways. Um, again, well, the first Egyptian calendar was about 3,000 years ago. 3,000 BC, I'm sorry. BC, BCE. Um, the Babylonians had identified the constellations and the planets and used those for time clocks about 1750 BC. About 1100 BC, the Phoenicians were in alliance with the nation of Israel to use celestial navigation for global exploration. And there are some <clears throat> interesting pieces of research that have been done by many uh, historians and researchers that show through the Epigraphic Society of America and through mounds that have been discovered and things that have, <clears throat> since their discovery, been suppressed. But it's been discovered um, that the copper mines in what we call Michigan today were heavily mined during this time by the Phoenicians and brought, and a lot of the copper was brought back for the temple, for the, for the temple that David and what Solomon built at that time. Pretty amazing. If you're interested, I can give you the names of a couple books. Uh, Steve Collins did a whole series, actually, a whole series of four books. He started out with one book, which is no longer in print. It's uh, available as an e-book, but he did a whole series of books on the history of Israel through empires and time and Parthian Empire. And lots and lots of hidden things that are very fascinating. Um, the Greeks in 585 BC designed a, a calendar with using the zodiac from earlier times. They borrowed things from earlier. A lot of cultures will borrow things from earlier times and claim it as their own. Put their name, put their stamp on it. <laughs> That's how people are. Um, the Mayans in 50 BC introduced a 52-year cycle round calendar, not 52 weeks, but 52 years, which is interesting that it expands out from the 52 years in uh, 52 weeks in a year up to 52 year cycle into their round calendar. Um, the uh, 
Julian calendar was first introduced 45 BC, um, but he borrowed a lot of his ideas from the Egyptians prior calendars. Um, it's kind of a reinvention of the Egyptian calendar that they use it, primarily solar calendar. But it got out of sync with um, time of seasons because we have 365 and a quarter days, remember, in the solar year. So that quarter of a day over centuries adds up to a significant time, and it puts um, the seasons out of sync. Okay, so Ptolemy um, was in Egypt, in Alexandria, Egypt, about 100, he lived 100 to 170, and he introduced, you know, things get buried and they come back and they get buried and they come back. So he introduced um, his geocentric Earth model, and that was accepted for a long time, both by civil and uh, ecclesiastical governments, um, and it became the accepted model. Geocentric means Earth-centered. We're the center of everything. <laughs> like narcissistic, you know, Earth-centered. <laughs> um, Copernicus system replaced that in about 1543. Copernic Copernicus uh, was for, in Poland, and he came up. He, he published a book called uh, Revolution of the Heavenly Orbs, and he modeled his um, model after heliocentrism. He introduced heliocentrism. That means centered around the sun. The planets were centered around the sun in a circle. And he also introduced earth motions. He talked about rotations and revolutions and the axis tilt in the 1500s. And then Galileo came along and he invented the telescope in the 1500s and 1600s and and he, um, with his discoveries, published a book called Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems on Motion. And he got in trouble with the Pope. <laughs> he says, we're not the center. Earth is not the center. Everything doesn't come around us. We go around the sun. So the Pope didn't like that, and he was under house arrest. Uh, fortunately, he had some friends, and it kept him from becoming, losing his head, literally. <laughs> And later, when there was another pope, after he published this book, he got in bigger trouble. They sent him home. He was confined to house arrest at home, but by that time he was blind, and he was limited in his abilities and capacities. Uh, but he did introduce this um, in, in our century, in our time. Uh, some of the popes have apologized for how he was treated. Um, <laughs> that's a change of um, perspective. Um, Galileo came along and picked up on the Copernicus system. He supported it. He endorsed it. Um, and he expanded his... Oh, ex okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. Okay, so um, Galileo was considered the father of modern science with his um, introductions of concepts on astronomy. Kepler built on Galileo's they overlapped. A lot of these people, you'll see their times, they missed each other, but Kepler and Galileo overlapped. Kepler actually requested that Galileo send him a telescope, and he said no. <laughs> he refused. 
Um, but Kepler discovered, later on I think he did, but um, laws of planetary motion, the ellipses, as compared to this perfectly round circle, he discovered that we that planets did ellipse instead of a circle, circle perfectly circle. Um, and he looked at the equal areas covered by the planets as compared with comparative times and he put out there. And then he also looked at the harmonics, the music, the harmonics of the planets and in, in using those calculations for measurements. Thank you for your kindness and smiling while I stumble <laughs> on my words. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, Newton picked up where Kepler left off and uh, he introduced the laws of the law of gravity. He didn't invent it, he, dis he discovered it. And he um, put in mo he, he showed how the motion uh, kept the planets from going off into space, into the cosmos. And so gravity would hold them in while the inertia took them out into orbit. Um, he wrote a book called Optics, a treatise on the reflections, refractions, inflections, of, and colors of light. So it's amazing how um, one picked up on another and built upon it and added to it and, and, and built the, the model of astronomy that we work with today. But they still, many of them referred back to music and they used the frequency of the planets, the resonance, to do their measurements and calculations. Very interesting. Um, jargon, as I was saying before, you have political jargon, you have science jargon, you have medical jargon, you have um, all kinds of jargon. So it depends on which field you're in. And people not in that field don't always understand what those words mean. And over time, words can come to have different, totally different meanings. Just in our own lifetime, look at the words that have changed. Different meanings. And they have totally different concepts associated. When we say occult today, we think of, oh, ooh, voodoo magic. We think of something really weird and something, you know, strange, hidden, special secrets that are way out there. Well, it used to be that when occult tables, which showed the alignments of planets and how some of the planets were, were hidden by eclipses when, like, the moon went in front of a planet or the sun went in front of the planet and you couldn't see it, the tables would help the celestial navigators to see how to navigate. So occult tables had, and occultation had totally different meaning back a few centuries ago than it does now. Um, today, um, U.S. Naval Observatory, which is a really good source for astronomical information and earth science, um, calls it astrometry. And astrometry is a branch of astronomy concerned with the determination of positions, proper motions, parallaxes of solar system bodies, stars, and distant galaxies. Astronomers at U.S. Naval Observatory use the latest instrumentation, which are satellites, um, and methods to extend the accuracy and brightness limits of astrometric catalogs and reference frames. Um, it's available online. This is the address for it. The email, the e website. <laughs> Sorry. The website. That's the website on the bottom. Can you read it, please? 
Okay, www.usno for US Naval Observatory dot Navy, N-A-V-Y dot M-I-L for military, forward slash USNO forward slash astrometry, A-S-T-R-O-M-E-T-R-Y. Um, the Astronomical Almanac, which is published by both the Hydrographic Society of England and the United States, U.S. Naval Observatory, um, is a very valuable source for astronomical alignments. It's both online, part of it's online, and part of it is um, published. It covers eclipses, it covers time scales and coordinate systems, the sun, the moon, the planets, natural satellites, um, dwarf planets, and small solar system bodies, stars and stellar systems, um, observatory searches so that you can know where to go to uh, visit an observatory, tables and data, notes and references, glossary, index, and information. So this is a really good source if you want to check some things out on astronomical research. Um, it also has some, some very user-friendly things that they put in there, like uh, on, on the comments for today, June 20th, it, it says that the moon waxes in the evening sky this week, passing through the summer constellations along the southern reaches of the ecliptic. The full moon occurs on the 20th at 7.02 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and that is 3.02 a.m. this morning, Alaska time. Um, June's full moon is popularly known as the strawberry moon, the rose moon, the meat moon, and honeymoon. Each of these names not only indicates something indicative of the month's flora, they also refer to the warm tone that the moon can take on during a warm June evening due to her southerly declination. And then they go on to continue on the summer solstice, and I'm going to quote this a little bit later at the end comments about today. So historical calendars um, have lots of references to solar and lunar alignments, but none of, most of them have had glitches because they are not totally accurate. They rounded up or they rounded down, or they don't allow for intercalation of the lunar and the solar calendar, and so the seasons get off, or certain festivals go out of season. And um, it's interesting to look at, at, at the different cultural calendars over the dec over the centuries of time. Sumerian tablets were some of the first discoveries of calendars. The Rosetta Stone, Babylonian calendars used both sun and moon. Hebrew calendars had a specific formula for calculating the time, lunar time, and in the 19-year cycle that we were talking about, the orbit, 18.6 precisely, but the 19-year cycle, there are seven sets of three years that in which there is a 13th month added to adjust the lunar to the calendar, to the solar calendar to resynchronize the two. Um, the Egyptian calendar, as mentioned, used by the Greeks later on, adapted and reinvented, Chinese calendars. Um, Chinese calendar starts in February on a new moon. 
um, it's an interesting piece. Uh, Greeks had the Julian calendar introduced in 46 BC, but then it came out of sync by 1582, the Gregorian calendar replaced it. It was 10 days off um, because the 10 days difference between sun and moon and eclipses and they didn't calculate all those things in. So um, Pope Gregory took 10 days out of the calendar and just threw them away. And it happened to be during the Hebrew festival of Sukkot. Oh dear. He just tossed them out in October. Um, the Roman Empire, uh, you've got the Catholic calendar and you've got the uh, Eastern Orthodox calendar, cultures divided by time and calendars. Um, in, after, in, the in the first century, the early Christians were using, were attending the synagogue and they were observing the holy days and the festivals that were continued on. Um, but over time, when, when Nero uh, started persecution and then when, when Constantine adopted quote-unquote Christianity with pagan faces, with, with Christian names, but some of the festivals they had celebrated in pagan times. It, it was a face change, a facelift, but it wasn't um, what was originally designed. So in the fourth century, about 325, the Council of Nicaea did a canonization of the books of the Bible, and they threw out some of them. Some of the ones that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, I'm not concluding one way or another if they were inspired scripture or if they were just valuable references, but one, either way, I think they're worth looking at. Um, but the books of Jubilee, the books of Enoch, the books of Jasher, um, that have very, that fill in a lot of gaps that are not given in the, in the Torah, um, there's a lot of things that are filled in in those books that are not specified in the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible. And, and uh, I think that because it refers to calendar and time in, in significant, relevant ways, that because they were reestablishing time and calendars and celebrations and putting a new facelift on old things, that I think that if they kept those books, it would have been a conflict. And if anybody looked at them, it would have um, contradicted some of the things that were done. So that's just my observation, my theory. Um, so they, you know, the, the persecution started against the early church, which was not switching to, uh, the History Channel has, has a lot of good um, documentaries on this, and I don't have time to go into as much detail as I do, but if you want to learn more about it, I suggest you look up the History Channel on, on the Constantine, uh, the changing of the calendar and the history of what happened at that time in the, con in the Roman Empire, because it's got some really interesting things, and it, it has a lot of history and uh, change, comments on changes of calendar and things. But because the Council of Nicaea uh, threw out some things and, and they 
were threatening and the Inquisition was coming, there were persecutions that were increasing. And so the Sanhedrin the, that was abolished before the, the Jewish sages recognized that their time, their days were limited. So they calculated, Hillel too, um, calculated a calendar that would go on. Um, it's not based on observation, which previously the new moons were both calculated and observed, and, and it's kind of like a check and balance. Um, but they knew that they were not going to be in session, they were going to be scattered, and, and so they did the Hillel II calendar. However, they added a few things for convenience sake, and um, that skewed uh, part of the way the calendar was observed. <coughs> um, they did some postponements, and, and that's more detail. But um, so religious calendars have changed over time. The Eastern, Western calendars, Gregorian calendar. There, there's talk about an international calendar that the United Nations is looking at, but they've gone back and forth on different things, and um, that's yet to be determined what is going to be done with that. A couple more comments on the time on the Hebrew calendar. Um, new moons. I've done it. Years of research on the new moons that proclaim the festivals for the Hebrew uh, calendar. And in order to count to the 15th day, which is the start of the festival associated with Passover and the festival of um, Sukkot, you have to have a first day. So you have to have a new moon to determine how to count. Um, and there's lots of different ways because things have been scattered. So, but it's interesting in this Dead Sea Scroll called the Book of Jubilee, it's interesting um, what was said long, long, long before all of these things came to pass. I'm just going to take a minute to read it. It says, And command you the children of Israel that they observe the years according to this re reckoning, 364 days, and these will constitute a complete year, and they will not disturb its time from its days and from its feasts. For everything will fall out in them according to their testimony, and they will not leave out any day nor disturb any feasts. But if they do neglect and do not observe them according to this commandment, then they will disturb their seasons, and the years will be dislodged, and they will neglect their ordinances. And all the children of Israel will forget and will not find the path of the years, and will forget the new moons and seasons and Shabbat, Shabbat, and they will go wrong as to all the order of the years. Isn't that interesting? How all the calendars have dislodged from time. So, um, in the interest of time, there's a lot of events I've researched out that have happened on new moons in historical times related to proclamations, events that you know about um, that are well known, and announcements, proclamations made to um, the people, the called out people of Israel, and to what we call Gentile kings. There were proclamations made to the Gentile kings, to the Nebuchadnezzar, to um, to many of the, the emperors, the, the reigning uh, throughout history. And 
Um, I don't have enough time to go into that. It would take several hours, but <laughs> if you're interested in that, let me know and I'll share some more with you. Um, indigenous concepts of time. Um, have any of you taken the course offered courses by Michael Alexa? He talk, he does cross-cultural um, communications. Really, really good. Really good on any, a lot of the teachers that work in the villages, a lot of te uh, the medical professionals that go out to the villages um, take his training so they can understand how to interact with uh, indigenous peoples in Alaska. That it's changing because we've had a major influence on them. But traditionally, um, the indigenous people all over the world have gone more by seasons and like uh, fish camp in the summer, berry picking, moose hunting, and, and they, they count time by seasons of migrations of birds and fish and how their lives interact with those things. Um, Cherokee, uh, traditional planting times, um, a friend of mine shared this with me, her father was Cherokee, and, and he went by this when he planted his, his gardens and crops. Um, they say on the new moon, plant the root crops, they'll go deep. On the first quarter, the ground crops. On the full moon, the tall crops, grain, the trees, sunflowers. And on the ebbing moon, between full and the next new moon, the energy ebbs away, just like the tides diminish. And, and so they say don't plant at that time. Now, I saw it, somebody sent me a Norwegian calendar, which is different than this with the planting and harvest times, but it's interesting. Grunions. Anybody from California that knows about the grunions? My mother used to say, oh, grunions hunting. Well, they never saw the grunions. They slept all night on the beach. Yeah, yeah. They come in on the tide of the highest tide, which correlates to the full moon or the new moon in, in, in a certain spring, early summer time, and they plant their eggs in the sand at that new or full moon tide because it's the highest tide. And then the tide is not as high until the next new or full moon. Tide comes in, reaches that point again, and the little babies hatch and are washed out to sea. Isn't that amazing for a calendar of rotation? <laughs> Changing of the guards? <laughs> um, I went to a... a a farm, an essential oil farm, a few years ago, because I wanted to see the operation from the ground up. And I noticed we were waiting for, um, they had a tester, and they had to test the, the sugar content, which corresponded to the oil content, before they put it in the vats for the distillation process. So I asked the farm manager, who was the farm manager for farms all over the world for this essential oil company, and I said, is there any correlation, because I was watching the moon up there, as I do wherever I go, I said, is there any correlation to the lunar cycles and when these um, different crops are ready for distillation? And, and um, what about planting? And he said, no, I don't think so. He says, I went to horticulture school and they never taught us anything about that. He says, um, that's just old wives' tale. That's nothing to that. And so I says, okay, all right. So he, it must planted a seed, pun intended in him because he looked at the log books and on the when they were driving us to the airport after the week was over he says somebody asked about um, correlation between the harvest and the crops being ready for distillation and and the lunar cycle and he says you know what he says i looked in our log books and there really is a there is a correlation <laughs> so 
know, there's cycles in nature, you know, the tides come and go with the new moon, the full moon, the neap tide, the spring tide, and we're 74% water, 90% how much we hydrate ourselves, um, and plants are water, animals are water, so there's cycles, the, the female cycle is, the menses cycle is, is correlated to the lunar cycle, um, and there's lots of things in nature that correlate to the, the cycles, the biorhythms of the sun cycles, the moon cycles. So there's a lot of things that correlate to these things. So where are we today? We're at the summer solstice and the new moon. So here's how it aligns. Can you, is that big enough for you to see? Can you see that chart? Okay. All right. So we're tilted 23.4 degrees, as we saw early on, in the Earth axis. And the northern hemisphere is tilted toward the sun. That's when we get solstice, the summer solstice. The southern south pole is tilted away from the sun, so they're having their winter. This is their winter solstice right now. Um, and the polar day um, at the Arctic Circle, 24 hours of daylight. At the Antarctica, at the pole, south pole, zero hours of daylight, <laughs> just like our winter. Um, so summer solstice falls on the 20th at 634 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time today. At this time, the center of the sun's disk stands directly over the Tropic of Cancer, north of the Hawaiian Islands. While astronomers consider this to be the first day of summer, many traditional calendars observe it as Midsummer's Day, commemorating the year's longest day. The farther north you go, the less the duration of night becomes. Cities such as Paris and London never experience total darkness at this time of the year, and places north of the Arctic Circle see the sun above the horizon for a full 24 hours. The sun appears to hover over the Tropic of Cancer for a week or so around the time of the solstice. And most of us probably won't notice the changing of times of sunrise and sunset well into July. Full moon today, June 20th. Um, it was at 3.02 this morning. Did anybody go see it? <laughs> um, the moon waxes in the evening sky, passing through the summer constellations, reaches the ecliptic. We've already read this. So strawberry moon, rose moon, mead moon, and honeymoon. So, um, and this plays into uh, a lot of the common um, traditions that have come to pass. And we haven't begun to scratch the surface. There's so, so much more um, that we could go into. The, the lunar, the, the Artemis and, and, and uh, Diana, the goddesses of, of the moon, um, and, and then Mars, the, the Mars, Martian uh, god of war. Um, there's a lot of correlation through time and myth and cultures that correlate the planets and the sun and the moon to their significant parts of their life in various cultures. Yes? Was the time the same here for the full moon and for the sun? No, no time. 3.02 a.m. Alaska time, 7.02 a.m. Eastern time. What was the solstice time? It was at 3 o'clock. Oh, um, 2.34. It's close. Very close. close, very close, yeah. Amazingly close. Yeah. So. Is that unusual, Joan, having yeah, because you know you have the lunar calendar, you have the lunar time, and you have the solar time, and they don't coincide. 
usually. So to have a full moon on the solstice, is, it's very unusual. Yeah, very unusual. I'm sure they do because they don't have the seasonal variations that we have in northern latitudes. And, you know, they're, and when you have fish migrations in the summer and caribou migrations in the fall, um, you have to be in sync with that or you miss your winter stock of food <laughs> and berry picking, you know, things like that. If you're not synced with the the solar and lunar cycles, you, you miss things. And, the, and the, the lunar cycles will affect the tides, bringing the fish in. So it's both solar and lunar. But, um, it, it's fascinating how that goes together. But no, that's true. Like um, at the equator, it's very consistent. It's, it's not the extremes of the northern and southern latitudes. So it's a totally different you culture. Have, you Not for those people, except that I do know that they don't have the extreme variations that we do. Yeah. Okay, so we've got 15 minutes left. Wait, is that is that why the Mayan calendar is supposed to was supposed to be so accurate, close? It's more. Oh, star calendar. What is that? The Mayan calendar. Do you want to comment? Um, no, well, Mayan's more celestial star calendar than, than like say. Seasonal or a food calendar, but but it wasn't the okay. Even if it's, it wasn't it supposed to be one of the most accurate calendars, given all these. Um, In some ways, it was. You yeah. know, yeah. Except it ran out of time. <laughs> <laughs> People <laughs> kept going. People. <laughs> okay, so we've now we've got twelve minutes left. But um, so I wanted to do a talking circle, but. We're kind of going to run out of time. So if any of you have comments that you want to share, your concept of time, um, please feel free to comment. Just to clarify, there's ladies' questions here. It's 2.34 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Appreciate that. So, yeah. 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 About an hour. Yeah. Not necessarily. <laughs> a lot of variables. A lot of moving parts. Yes. Yeah, I heard the discussion of the Mayan calendar. Which one was it? Everybody was freaking out. It was the Mayan calendar, 2012. We thought time was going to end, just like we thought 1999, 2000. We thought, you know, time was going to end. <laughs> Almost every culture, every generation or century. <laughs> I say I was I was born a week early, and ever since I've been running late. <laughs> yes. Um, I just wanted to come in. You had read up there about how the Hindu and the Chinese were different away from the calendar. Or things would come to pass that we know that we would no longer think about the calendar as far as a guidance. Yes. It, it's amazing when I think about the concept because it's so true. It is. No. It, it, went by the it didn't. Until now, we don't know much about it. That's very true. That's very true. Very interesting because you know it's because they stopped practicing or using the different calendar or different ways. What would when you 
How true. <laughs> yes. You were asking to maybe share some of our perspectives of time. Uh, I've got, you got me thinking about it, I've got three. Um, the, the first one is kind of, is my personal uh, view of time. It's, it seems like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a mind's view. I, see, I seem to, like, put things into time, and then perhaps they come to pass, or I see things that seem to be inevitable. I'm really simplifying this now, but then they eventually do happen in a certain way. In, in other words, I'm sort of involved in the time continuum in a way of both putting in and and seeing, even though it's, I wouldn't dare call it prescient, but that's the kind of way it is. You create the, some of your time? Well, I'm created in it, you know. The, the second one is, I was looking at a National Geographic graphs about some things, and uh, oh, this was in the 80s, and um, they were talking about gravity bending light and stuff, and, and so, and again, really shortening this and not getting scientific about it, but, but you know, it was, it was talking about uh, gravity bending light, um, so perhaps space. Um, so it made me think that gravity, instead of, like Newton says, you know, drawing towards each other, that it's a propagating wave. It, it's we think of it as we think of it as, as gravity sucks, and instead it it shoots. Um, and then that that led to the to the part of well, anti-gravity. If, it, if it's if it's bending. If it's bending light, and if gravity is is like propagating and coming out and therefore bending the light, then so perhaps space and time, and maybe time is a propagating wave rather than a linear thing that's divided up. A what? An orbit? No, no, just a, a propagating wave. In other words, like like light is a propagating wave. You know, here we're in the light. You know, where are we in the light? Are we past, present, or future? No, we're you know, in, in some form of, in some part of the waveform. And, and then the third thing was, uh, done a lot of research on stone circles. Uh, a couple thousand of them in England and, and Normandy and stuff. Um, and we know lots, but not all, about Stonehenge and what that does with the, with the sun and the moon cycles that you were talking about. But it seems like most of the other stone circles that you visit, uh, they found out that, uh, they seem to both react and predict. I mean, they, they react in a resonant way. They sort of turn on, and uh, dowsers and people like that, and, and even electronic gear can measure a vibration start. Certain stone circles measure the rising of, of certain constellations or the activation of certain constellations, uh, and none of them the same. Um, so we get back to frequency and resonance? Right, so these 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 hinges are more like uh, star calendars than Stonehenge, which is our most famous one. Is definitely solar and lunar uh, for the most part. So I, you know, I have just these three different ways of uh, approaching 
uh, the time experience and the time science. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Yes, Sean? Oh, I was going to say, can you comment much, do you know much about the string theory? Because this is all, I mean... That everything is related? <laughs> well, and, and everything is about a frequency. I mean, the strings they're talking about are strings of an instrument. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not strings of an instrument. That's the way I think of it. Mm -hmm. The world is made up of frequency. It's made up of music. Like the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is... Um, one wave of air from a butterfly can affect everything across the planet. So it's partly tied into string theory in how the vibrations have reflections and, and pass out in time and affect everything else. So th string theory connects everything. Yes. And so when he was doing his science and when he was playing his violin, they were parts of the same whole string theory. They were all connected. Who's he? Einstein was a violinist. You know, I didn't know that. Yeah. And your daughter is too. Your daughter. Oh, yes. My daughter is too. I'm just going to point out that uh, as they get older, time seems to move fast. Oh, yeah. It yeah. speeds up. As they get older, time seems to move faster. Yes, yes, yes. Accelerate. Not just linear. Right. But exponential. Exponential. I'm sure the rest of you have something to say about time. I have, I have a question. Um, it's um, I am. It has to do with the axis, and that it's changing. That the um, and yeah. that that is that some um, I don't know exactly who, but in uh, Inuit, would uh, to observation would say this is causing a lot of the change on the Earth, planet Earth, mm -hmm. because there is I don't know why, but it's an axis change. Do you know? Actually, when we had the last huge earthquake, the Sumatra one, at they said it affected the tilt of the axes. I can't remember. It was a fraction, but it was enough to be significantly commented on. Yeah. But right now, something's happening now. Right. Well, the magnetic yeah. pole is moving, too. So, The magnetic pole is moving really fast. It's going from over Canada toward Russia. And, and that affects a lot of things, too. We've had pole reversals, and we're overdue for a big one, and, and magnetic pole reversals. And, and the f magnetic field of the Earth weakens as it moves and gets ready for a pole shift. And then anomalies occur on different parts of the planet with magnetic, they call it magnetic anomalies, as we approach that time of a magnetic pole shift. And eons of time. So what is a pole shift? It's when we go from, you know, right now, the North Pole is, has a magnetic north, and it shifts to south. There's, there's, there's iron in the Earth, and there's 
metal and movement and, and, and there's so many factors in, in the galaxy and the solar system and there's so many things that I don't think we even totally understand it. But the poles over time have shifted and, and, and we see um, how that happens by studying the ocean floor and the alignment of magnetic, magnetite uh, minerals and things. And it is over geologic time, it has shifted back and forth. Yeah. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned about the movement of the magnetic field. There was an article in the paper that I read just last week about that. Oh. That Could have an effect on on the the submarine volcanoes that are yeah. like NASA has observed three million submarine volcanoes. Tell me that's not affecting the heat of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the isostatic rebound in some areas that the land is lifting up. Yeah. Not everywhere, but in like southeast That's Alaska, where the glaciers are melting, there's isostatic re rebound. That's a shift in, in uh, weight bearing areas mm -hmm. of the planet. Right. And uh, the other thing I was going to mention is it's, it's rather uh, amazing to me that from, from what we know, beginnings of, of uh, humans, we've kept track of time. We have. It's been lost sometimes. And re rediscovered. <laughs> but that's true. Have a magnetic ship, all of our electronic things will not work if we nope. go back to the crops. If we have a solar flare, that could happen too. <laughs> yes, we're just about out of time. Uh, she was talking about the uh, axis shifters. Mm -hmm. um, the magnetic pole, uh, magnetic axis that's kind of moving around, it isn't necessarily a true north, and that's like you said, is sometimes inverted like a mm -hmm. bang of magnet, and that right. might happen. Right. But astoundingly, there's also, Velikovsky was writing about this in the 50s, uh, uh, evidence of, of actual axis shift, where the mm -hmm. whole Earth is just like, you know, gone upside down. And of course, that makes everything... The sun does it every 11 years, or what? 22. The sun does it frequently. You know, I'm talking about a physical flipping of the Earth, mm -hmm. not just its yeah. magnetic flipping. Yeah. But right. the, <laughs> from a, north becomes south. Yeah, causing <laughs> wow. you know worldwide typhoons and turmoil. Talk about stuff up in the last We haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, real quick with you, and then we're out of time. You were talking suddenly, a question in my mind. We have the Earth is based on religions. This is northern hemisphere. Have there, I haven't heard of many religions starting in the southern hemisphere, but if any have, do they have a different perspective on time from their, their different calendars and their different experience of the year? Different stars. Well, they're, different stars, different yeah, seasons. Yeah, they have different constellations they line up to. Is happening now, it happens to be winter instead mm -hmm. of are 
the most the world religions are in both. I I honestly don't know. Like Aboriginal in Australia, I think Aboriginal time, because of dream time also. Yeah. So, and it's such a different sky, you know. So that would be interesting to investigate. Most religions have started in around the equator, closer to the equator. If you stop and think about it, and then, and then it they go out from there, in both directions. Okay, well, thank you so much. Joan, thank you very, very much. Thank you very much.